0: where we left off before the Christmas break. This is chapter, we're going through the entire chapter tonight. You know, um, uh, generally speaking, uh, people seem to have some difficulty with the idea of someone claiming that they love somebody, while at the same time uh, being somebody who is willing to punish the person they claim to love. you know, uh, I see this all the time in my line of work. Uh, I, I'm a teacher, and people always have a hard time with the idea of, hey, well, how can you punish a kid? How can you discipline a kid and say you love them or you care about them? Well, you, know, you do it because you love them, and that's the difficulty that people have. And this is symptomatic of how people feel on a much larger level between them and God. You know, if it's true from person to person, it's even more true between people and God. They have a hard time with that. And, you know, it really boils down to people not wanting to deal with sin. But, you know, God uh, God loves us beyond measure. You know, he, uh, that never ends. But, you know, he's a holy God. He's a God that doesn't suffer sin in his presence. Uh, he's a God that asks us to give himself over to him and be changed once we do so. And this, this evening, as we go through Genesis 8, we're going to see how, how God shows his love for his people, for Noah and his family, in the middle of all kinds of death and decay. You know, there's, there's just all kinds of craziness in the world going on in them, and, and the Lord just is faithful continually. Let's go ahead and read Genesis 8, verse 1. It says, Then God remembered Noah, and every living thing, and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark, uh, which he had made. And then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. And he also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned uh, into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days. And again, he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him any more. And it came to pass in the 601st year in the first month, the first day of the month that the waters were dried up from the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark And looked, and indeed, the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives were with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And he took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night, shall not cease. And so we'll be looking at this uh, in three major chunks tonight. First, in verses 1 through 3, we'll look at God's faithfulness, uh, how he remembered them. Second, in verses 4 through 14, we'll look at Noah's rest, in that he waited on God's faithfulness. And lastly, in verses 15 through 22, uh, Noah's commitment and obedience. So first, verses 1 through 3. Uh, God's faithfulness uh, that he remembered. First in verse 1, notice that uh, God was always mindful of Noah. You know, it tells us that God remembered Noah and all the things that were alive on the ark. And and the key word there is that word remember. You know, in the Hebrew, that word can mean uh, everything from think about, to meditate upon, to pay attention to. But this particular kind of remembering in this context is a remembering that's, this mental act that caused one to pay attention and then take appropriate actions, okay? And this is where God was at. He looked at them and said, okay, now it was time to act. And, and better, it should be remember, it probably should say something like God paid attention to him because the reality is that God uh, God doesn't forget things, right? Except for our sins when we've repented of them. You know, nothing escapes his notice in the world. And so God's intention then is to act on the behalf of Noah, on even on the behalf of the animals that are alive on the ark uh, for their good. And, and that's the thing about the God that we serve, is that his thoughts towards us are thoughts of life, you know. That he regards each and every one of us as precious, that he doesn't forget us even when we think he's forgotten, because from our end that's what it looks like sometimes, you know. I mean, God even cared about the animals here. It, it kind of makes me think about in Matthew ten twenty nine. When Jesus is talking to uh, the crowds and his disciples, he tells them, Hey, aren't two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. He says, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He says, Do not fear, therefore, because you are more value than, than many sparrows. And, you know, it's always a comfort for us to remember. It's things we forget. It's the basics of our faith. But it's important because the things in the world, the things in our life, they tend to crowd things out. Things get busy and, and things get crazy and we have to stop and remember, wait, the, the Lord says he's got this, you know. He already knows how things are going to end. I, I, I just have to relax a bit. And we, we trust in that, just like he does with Noah, that he acts in the appropriate time and in the appropriate manner for his people. So it might not be according to our timing. It might not be in a way that we would expect, but we trust that the Lord's going to act. I mean, Noah, no, Noah was just sitting there in that boat for a long time. <laughs> You know, it was raining and he didn't see any more land. He's like, well, I guess this is a flood. You know, because he had no idea what that was. Hmm. Even if it's not according to our timing. Remember doesn't really work there, does it? You know, we, we don't go, do a good job of capturing that. In fact, uh, it kind of reveals a, a weak kind of faith in our part, you know, to say that God remembers us. You know, be, because he doesn't lose sight of that. You know, our our job is is not to know where we're going to end up you know in, in this life because we know where we're going to end up eternally but our job really is to just trust god because of the fact that he always acts on our behalf because his actions towards us are always in love and for our benefit even when it seems it's not for our benefit in the long run it is and, and that's the hope that we have and it's a comfort to know that god is moved to act on our behalf that he looks on us with that compassion you know, I mean, God could very well have wiped everything out, but but He had compassion on mankind and said, "No, Noah's Noah's right. You know, Noah's righteous. You know, I need to do right by him." You know, hmm. the Lord was moved to sacrifice His Son for us, and so if He's done these things, if He's saved us, you know, it's our expectation that He's going to take care of all the concerns of our lives. Because God doesn't save us to destroy us. You know, that just doesn't make any sense. You know, he preserves us to preserve us. But see what God's actions are for Noah here because as he takes notice of him and everything that's on that ark, you know, his sons, his daughters-in-law, his wife, he begins to make it happen in the world. It says that there was this wind that passed over the earth, you know, and it started to dry things out. It said that uh, the water started to subside as a result of the wind. And this wind, as it passed over, um, it... It dries the land, and it's interesting because when you start to dig the source of that wind when it was made to pass there, it's the idea that this action is the result of a thought of one who who made made it happen. It's something that is intentional. It's not something by accident. In the same way that you would tip over a glass on purpose or your your son or daughter might when they're little, you know, just tip something over on purpose. And then you're like, hey, you're cleaning that up, you know. In that same way. You see, that's what happens with God. Things don't happen by accident in our lives. You know, things happen on purpose. Things happen because the Lord has some kind of a plan for you. And as God was the source of this wind that was going to dry out the land for Noah and for all those animals, you know, he's the source of their salvation here. Because that's what's really going on. This is life or death. There's a finite amount of food on that boat, (laughs) you know. There's a whole bunch of hungry mouths on there, and they've got to figure out what's going to happen. And it's interesting because as this, this wind you know, starts to whip up and dry things out, we start to see, and we've already seen it before in chapter 7, that what God does is he works within nature in order to accomplish his will. Okay. And it's kind of something that's consistent through Scripture. When there is not something sufficient for his will to be accomplished on earth, then he works supernaturally and outside of it, and that's where miracles and things happen. Okay, but very often the Lord uses things on earth in order to accomplish his will in the same way that he used a donkey to talk to Balaam, you know, and say, hey, you better cut that out. You know, things are going to go real bad for you. And, and these winds, um, they're unique in that they were incredibly strong. I mean, you figure this is, this is not a local flood. The people, some people will talk about it being a local flood and blah, blah, blah. The Bible says it flooded all the earth and killed everybody and everything. I have to take scripture at face value. If I, if I start to monkey with things and, and say that it only happened in a particular region and this, that, and the other thing, then I'm, I'm going to start poking holes in all kinds of stuff in scripture, and it is just isn't valid anymore. You know? So this is a worldwide flood, and if you're talking about the entire world filled with water, that is a massive wind you know, to be able to start to kick water up and displace it and move things around and, and cause evaporation. You know, um, and if you remember from early on in Genesis when we started this back in, oh, what was it, October, right, um, that in the, in the pre-flood world that there was the two great waters. Yes, the one in the firmament above and the one below, and there was a, a kind of a balance between the two, and, and we understand as best as we could there was probably some kind of very, you know, jungle-like tropical environment that they lived in. You know, we know that rain didn't exist before. It was, it was something that appeared to be an anomaly to somebody like Noah and those people, saying, "What is what's going on here?" And that as water came from below and from above, you know, the earth was was flooded. And as a result of all of these things happening um, and the lack of balance, you know, climate changed radically. You know, you had new topography. Um, you had things like deserts forming where there weren't any deserts. You'd have arctic and Antarctic regions where. Uh, before there were jungles, you know. That's why we have, like, woolly mammoths showing up in the middle of Russia, you know, where it's like, hey, it's awful cold up there, and they were hanging out up there, and and, all kinds of other crazy, just crazy stuff all over the place. And um, as these climates change, it would cause an imbalance, and these winds would whip up and craziness, because we do know that, if you know anything about meteorology, or you pay attention like, Dallas rains, you know, when you're watching, when there's two different masses of air, hot and cold, it makes the wind uh, get going, you know. And so this is what was happening here. And as a result of the wind, it tells us there that the water subsided. Um, and it's interesting that the waters, you know, um, the judgment, all these things, it, they're, they're subject to God, you know. He's the one that orchestrated and made the place for this, uh, the setting for this to happen. And it happened, and things start to obey him. And th- he just has complete control over the earth. I mean, he spoke the place into existence, it tells us in Genesis chapter 1. And so then the God who's in control over all creation is the same God Who's working behind the scenes in our lives all the time? Even before we knew him, you know, we know that he was working on on our behalf, trying to get our attention, you know, keeping us from all kinds of evils that could have occurred even worse in our lives apart from him. And so then we have to remember that as such, he's the ultimate source of our salvation, as well as being the one that helps us through this life. And that's the thing that we forget sometimes, you know. Yeah, we're going to be okay at the end, but it's like the, the middle part, you know, that seems, that seems tough. You know, it's like you're starting a hike and you look up there like, well, I know the peak's up there and I'm way down here. It's, it's the middle section I'm kind of concerned about. And that's sometimes the way we look at our lives, you know, between here and eternity. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that the less that we turn to other means to help us, other people, you know, um, systems, whatever it is we rely on. It, the better it is for us. Because the more we turn to him, the more we're going to get blessed, the more we're going to benefit. So as these winds happen in verse 2, they're drying things out. It says the fountains of the deep were also um, stopped, and so was the rain, and it was all being restrained. We Remember, there were subterranean waters that came out. Um, and it says that even the windows of heaven, which is figurative language there, um, those stopped as well. They were shut up. And so God ha- was able to stop all the water, so that this could all continue to happen, and, and you know, it's interesting because when God does something, He doesn't do it halfway, right? I mean, uh, He 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 does it all the way. And so it says, as as a result of this, the waters began to recede from the earth; and they went back to where they came from. Literally, um, in, in the Hebrew, they were coming and going. The water, you know, it was moving all the time. And this happened over over a, a rather quick period, you know. So for for all this to happen, it, it was quite. Quite a big deal. And so as these waters are receding, um, we know that they would drain and end up creating things like the oceans and stuff, you know. In fact, the idea is this, is that as these fountains of the deep, which was vast reservoirs of water, as they sprung up, you know, they'd have to break through the earth. And if the water was under the earth and now it's not under the earth, it's on top of the earth, you have these great chasms underneath the earth, right? And so they would collapse. And then you have displacement, and so the water all goes, always goes to the lowest point, we know, and it would drain down into those areas. And as the water drained, you know, it created pressure and exerted extra pressure wasn't there on the earth, and then it would basically push things up like mountains is the idea. So we have um, displacement by water as opposed to like we learn in school, uh, plate tectonics where were all floating on the magma and they're moving and sliding and all this jazz. Um, <clears throat> So it was a very violent thing. In fact, um, some, uh, many scientists talk about the idea that the Andes and the Himalayas came up very quickly, you know, and somewhere around the same time geologically. And so that's the idea that during this time, things like the Andes, the Himalayas, you know, even our Sierra Nevada mountains here in California, they all popped up very quickly, and um, it was because of that draining into the basins, into the oceans, causing just huge changes in the topography of the world. And this happened, it says, in about 150 days. So in the course of five months, you know, the world was radically changed. The world that he was going to see was nothing like the world he had known before. And I can imagine being, being in Noah's shoes and seeing all this happen. You know, we, and the, uh, the thing that we forget as believers, you know, you read through Genesis and maybe it's part of our problem is, you know, Westerners and Americans, we read stories and we we like put them over here on the side. Well, these are stories, right? And, and we forget about such huge changes that occurred. You know, and monumental changes that were happening in a very short amount of time for these individuals. And uh, we recognize that was somebody like Abraham, but with somebody like no, we're like, oh well, you know, it's kind of cool. He made a big boat and talked to people, and they didn't listen. And you know, he had a bunch of animals, and you know, he was a zookeeper for a while. and and afterward, it was it was cool, you know. He killed some animals and had meat, and let the animals do their thing, and they grew and they had children, and it it, it was good. And, and it's this fairy tale, as opposed to being a, a harrowing ordeal for him, because that's the reality of the situation. And God was working in the midst of all of this turmoil for him and for his family, you know, as they got the benefit of, of his faithfulness to God, and so. As this is happening, we start to see that Noah's was able to rest in God because what he did is he focused on God's faithfulness, you know, and not all of this turmoil that was going on around him in his life. In fact, it tells us right there in verse four that the ark rested in the seventh month, 17th day of the month uh, in the mountains of Ararat. He came to a place of quietness, you know. This quietness really speaks to a kind of security. So it's more than just like it stopped and it rested somewhere. It was a place where it was stable. It was docked, so to speak. It was moored finally somewhere, you know, for those of you who have ships and boats or whatever. You have dinghies, you know. Mm -hmm. The ark was now at rest. And so it signified really the idea of the completeness of the security that they were experiencing. I mean, they'd been in this ark, uh, we know, from chapter 7 since the second day and the 17th day of that month. And so they had been in there a while. They've been in there five months, you know. And that's quite a while to be stuck on a boat. Yeah, I remember years ago oh gosh um, we, we took a gosh this is a long time ago, it's like 20-something years ago. Um, we took a retreat with the high schoolers I was high school at the time uh, out to Catalina. We were on a boat the whole time, you know a really awesome retreat. And, uh, you know, we're on the boat for about a week, four or five days. And I'm sure about the fourth or fifth day, you know, uh, Tony was like, okay, I'm ready to go home. You know, I mean, they were just done. They're like, I need to get back on land. You know, this is enough. You know, yeah, we went to the island once. That was it. And and we're done. And and these guys, I think, were experiencing that. You know, they were stuck on this thing with barnyard animals and worse. You name it, it was there. And so they were there for five months taking care of these things. It's interesting that as it talks about the exact day that this happened, uh, some commentators suppose that this was actually the same date as, as the resurrection. You know, it says that Jesus uh, rose on the, uh, was killed in the Passover which was the 14th day of the first month. You know, He would have risen on the 17th day and they're t- taking into account how the Jewish calendar um, was a little different that this may very well have been the same day that Jesus rose again and And we've all heard about the idea of the Ark being a type of Christ, right? And that it saved them and preserved them. And and then they resurrected, so to speak, you know, here. And so it's interesting how that works. If if that is the case here, uh, it's an amazing picture of Jesus' salvation for each and every one of us. You know, that, that he preserves us through all of this, that he went through all of this ordeal. And then at the end, you know, was at rest. And so then as we partake of his salvation... We understand as well that that we're secure in Him, that we enter into this this new life with Him in the same way that Noah was going to enter into this new world that was a uh, completely unlike anything he had known. In the same way that when you become a Christian, it's a complete reversal of everything that you were, everything that you thought, everything that you cared about, you know. And so they it says they lay there on the on the mountains of Ararat, and uh, notice it doesn't say the mountains of Ararat; it doesn't say Mount Ararat. Some people think that was the case, not necessarily. Um, geographically where Ararat, Mounts of Ararat are up in the Turkish-Iranian border just north of Iraq, up east of Armenia. And the uh, highest peak there, Mount Ararat, is what it's called in English, uh, it's over 17,000 feet high. Uh, We don't know exactly where arrested. There's claims of people say they've seen the ark up there. There's never been any evidence, so we'll let that be what it is. The important thing is to see that the Lord was faithful to bring them through this flood. And so it is interesting to note geographically speaking this is eastern turkey like i said up near the border of turkey and iran uh, and armenia if you look at the map it's it's right in the middle of three different continents you know you go you go northeast and you end up in russia you go you know southeast you end up out just past the middle east to the far east you know you go further south you end up in africa you go northwest you end up in europe and so it was perfectly situated for the spread of all of mankind into into the entire world. It was just kind of, the Lord had it going when he put it, made it happen there. And just kind of the sweet spot, so to speak. And Noah's patience then we see his commitment here is because of God's faithfulness. So we see here in verse 5 that the waters uh, decreased all the way up until the 10th month. And so the tops of the mountains were finally seen there. So he was in there for nearly three months after it had finally come to rest before he could see the tops of other mountains. You know, just kind of Hanging out again. And of course this is evidence of, of the fact that it was a global flood. He couldn't see any, anything as far as the eye can see. You know, just, just water as they had gotten stuck somewhere. And it's, a, it's this huge amount of water again that was moving. I was moving quite slowly again like we had talking about. Well, slowly to the man's eye, but in reality, geologically it was super fast. Um, and it, it, as he's sitting there, it wasn't necessarily serene either. So we have to understand that as he's stuck there uh, uh, on this this mountain, although he is secure, there is craziness going on. Remember, there's mountain ranges popping up as water moves from place to place, and very likely earthquakes happening on account of this. And so, he, there's all kinds of stuff going on all, all around him. As it says that he rested, you know, which kind of seems strange. But uh, I want I want you to think about your own walk with God. You know, you you become a Christian and and it's like, okay, I'm a Christian. It's going to be good. There's going to be, you know, good things that happen in my life, you know. And then it's like, wait, what? I got fired, you know. Wait, this happened? Wait, that happened? Like, I thought things were good when you're a Christian. And then it's like, well, actually, <laughs> there's a lot of tough things that happen when you're a Christian. And that's that's the truth for us. And that was the truth for Noah as well. You know, we, we forget that as we enter into God's rest, you know, we are promised tribulation in this world, you know. But we're also told to have confidence in that God, has, Jesus, has overcome the world, it tells us in John sixteen thirty three, And so we have to ask ourselves, well, then how much trust do we really have in the Lord? We enter into this with the idea of rest for eternity. And he tells us up front, there's going to be difficulty, though, you know, uh, on this side before you get there. Are we going to continue to stick it out or are we going to wilt? It's something we have to face and answer every single day. Because it's a commitment that's renewed every day in our lives. And, and that was just as true for them here as they were waiting. In fact, it says that after they saw the, those mountaintops, you know, 40 days, they had sent out uh, this raven to check things out. And the raven didn't do them much good. It says it kept flying back and forth until the water dried up. So it just went around. It would perch somewhere on top of the ark. It would probably eat carrion Because if you know anything about ravens, they eat just about anything. You know, so there's all kinds of dead animals. There's things floating, I'm sure, all over the place. And that raven was plenty hungry. And it just hung out. And so it didn't do him any good when he stopped to check. And so it says that he got this dove to check if the water had receded from the ground. And and he sent that out. And and Noah, of course, is checking to see if it had dried or how far along things were. Um, Some people think there were seven days between the raven and and the uh, dove. I'm not sure. It uh, doesn't say that for sure. They say because it's another seven days. Uh, it's unclear there. But the important thing to see here about what Noah's doing is is if we're talking about him having faith and a commitment to the Lord, his checking to see if the waters are going down isn't a lack of faith. You know, In the same way as when we're praying to the Lord about some issue in our lives, that isn't a lack of faith. We're saying, Lord, you know, I'm not sure what you're doing. He's like, okay, take it easy. I got this. It's not for lack of faith that we ask him when we come to him. It is because of faith that we do this. You know. And so this is kind of where, this is exactly, in fact, where Noah was coming from. That he continued to seek, he continued to look. Because the reality is that we don't know where, where things are going to go in our lives. And so we're always checking. And I think that's a safeguard for us that the Lord's built in. Because if we knew absolutely everything, we, we'd kick back, right? I mean, we just we, we'd find ways to mess it up, I think. Because we're just dumb. You know. But because the Lord keeps us in suspense, we have to rely on him. And even then, sometimes we don't do it right. And so that, that tension is really important to us because of our sin nature, I think. Because of all the, just the junk that's inside of us. This stuff, it, it returns and of course we know that it finds no resting place there. Because there were still waters everywhere. It, could, it couldn't lay everywhere. It wasn't like this raven that could live on just about anything. And so, if, of course, if there's no place for a dove, uh, there's no place for the people either yet. They, they can't survive outside of that ark. And, you know, when things are difficult, things look a little bad, but we have to keep from despairing. Because when it looks like there's nothing happening because of the difficulty, we have to know that God is still working. You know, God is still doing things for us. And Noah's patience patient. It says he waited there another seven days before he sent it again. And this time, his patience was rewarded. said that this dove uh, came back with a, plucked, a freshly plucked olive branch, which is an important thing because that's showing that the vegetation, you know, it was growing, it was alive. And God was bringing this renewal to the earth, you know. It's kind of interesting that olive trees, they, they'll they even put out fresh vegetation if they're, you know, underwater, partially underwater, crazy stuff, you know. And and this is what was going on. It came, brought forth and brought this olive Branch. I don't know what it means, by the way, you know, with that image of the, you know, dove with the olive branch and meaning peace. I don't know where that comes from. But I i assume they grab it from this, but that's not what it's saying here at all. <laughs> it's a confirmation that the Lord is doing stuff for sure. And it's comfort for Noah, but peace, uh, I don't know where that comes from. I guess that's for the Olympics. And so. Noah then understood after he saw this, it tells us that the waters were, had receded from the earth. And so this is the evidence he was waiting for. And um, even though the waters were retreating, it wasn't completely dry. It wasn't habitable. It didn't mean they can just throw open the door and do things. You know, God, uh, God was being faithful to Noah. And so Noah was going to wait on him because he knew that as long as he let God go forward and do the things that he said he was going to do, things had gone okay for him so far. I mean, everybody else he had known outside of his family was gone. You know, his house gone. He probably couldn't even find it if he wanted to. And now he figures, well, it's just, just me and God. And that really is where we're at as believers, isn't it? It, it is Because just you and Christ. That's it. It's, it's no one else, you know. Yeah, we have wives. Yeah, you have family. Yeah, you have children. But it really boils down to just you and the Lord. So that when all that stuff falls away, that's what remains. you know. And so uh, Noah was, was trusting in that way. And so he waited in another seven days and, and he sent the dove out again. And it says it never came back. You know. So now uh, this is a good sign for Noah. Of course, he was stuck there, it says, until the 601st year of the first month, the first day of the month. Until they had finally dried from the earth and he took off the covering and, and looked and he saw with his own eyes now. The, the earth was dry. You know, he could see it. And so he was able to see dry earth and you can imagine the encouragement that Noah had after being the ark. At, at this point for uh, over a year. Okay. Imagine w- waiting a year for a promise. You know, that's, that's a long time. You know, some people have waited years for things, and even that seems difficult to me. You know, a wait in a year is a long time. I always think like to uh, uh, the Jewish uh, marriage customs when they would get betrothed, and like you're married, but then you're not really married. I mean, you're just kind of you're got the you're attached, but that's it. And it's just this, this whole different thing than the way we do things. You know. It's like long engagements. I don't understand that kind of thing. That's stupid. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Like, oh, we're engaged, we get married in two years. What? You're dumb. God's coming back. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> but you know, we are told in scripture to wait on promises, to be patient. Yeah, I love that proverb in Proverbs 13, 12, where it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. And that's neat. The waiting's difficult, but when we get it, man, it's sweet. It's really good. And I imagine with all the stuff that happens in this world, that happens in our lives, heaven's going to be pretty awesome. You know, because there's a lot of crumminess going on. You know, there's a lot of stuff that that just throws us for loops. Heaven's going to be pretty cool. We see in Scripture consistently that the people who are faithful enough to stop and wait in the Lord are blessed. We see Simeon, you know, uh, as he waited for the Messiah, he was blessed in his old age. In Luke 2, 29 to 30, when he finally saw the child, said, look at this, you know, this is amazing. We see the same thing with Hannah, as she was faithful to have her, her boy Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. We see it with Ruth as she was patient to wait for Boaz to to redeem her in the book of Ruth. This consistent thing that happens when patience is exercised, patience is one through the spirit the spirit tells us in Galatians. God calls us all to wait for his return, doesn't he He? Uh, calls all of us to, to make sure that we're busy occupying the time, but looking forward to that time where he's going to come, he's going to rapture us up, you know, and then we're going to see him face to face. And the question then is is are we waiting patiently for him? Are we waiting with the focus on that event that's coming? And as we wait, are we making sure that we occupy the time? Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to be busy about his business, you know. We're called to go out and, and make disciples of, of all the nations, you know. We go out and share the word with people. We live it out so that people see and they say, Well, what's what's that deal with you? We're like, Well, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm like, oh well, whatever. You know, And so as this stuff was going on here, the earth was dry, but it wasn't quite dry enough. Not until it says the 27th day of the second month. And so now Noah, he could see that the earth was completely dry. It's been 370 days, 371 days since he'd entered the ark. So it was quite a long time. Their, their years were 360 years, not like ours, which are 365 and one quarter thereabouts. And so God had shut shut Noah in, we, it tells us in Genesis seven sixteen, right? That he had gone in and says God shut Noah in. And so God's going to be the one who releases Noah from it as well. Someone's going to let him out. And uh, it, it's interesting, we started here in chapter 8, verse 1, with God remembering Noah and then moving to act on that remembrance and causing that wind and moving things along, and God 's going to be the one to let them out. you know God is the one who takes care of us as we 're calling out to him. It reminds me of a of the uh, uh, messianic psalm psalm forty, where he says, "I waited patiently for the Lord, it says and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the horrible pit out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. I think that's where Noah was at. He had called out to the Lord and the Lord had shut him into this thing and he's, he's sitting there and he says, I got nothing to do but to wait. I got nothing to do but to, to, to seek you, to rely on you. In the same way as, as Jesus had to do the same thing. You know, and the difficulty that that is beyond words that he suffered on that cross, you know, for our account. And as the Lord is faithful to see each of them through, that the Lord is faithful in each of our lives to do the same things continually, over and over and over and over again. And it's those lessons that we learn as we go on in our walks with God that get us on to that next point, the next part that God has for us. You know what that is? I don't know, but we know that when it happens, that we get have the opportunity to, to praise God for it, you know, to glorify him, to be able to point to what's happened in our lives and say, see, this is this is what happens when you trust. This is what happens when you walk, you know, with, with the Lord. You're taken care of. You know, you're looked after. And then people see, and he says, and, and many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord, it says. You know, what, what kind of a gospel is our lives to people? I pray it's the kind of gospel that people see and, and and they're moved to say, well, you know, the Lord must be true. Because what just happened in that life, there's no other explanation for it. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And because of all of this, Noah was committed enough to, to continue to be obedient here. In verses 15 uh, through 22. So he had seen this dry land, and he didn't make any any attempt to kind of jump out of that boat, to break down that door. You know, he waited on God. He said, No, no, I, I need to I need to make sure this is the Lord doing this. And it tells us immediately that God answered no, not immediately, but in the very next verse, that God answered no. He spoke to him. So as Noah was waiting for the word of the Lord, the Lord honored that. And this is the kind of relationship that Noah had with God, you know. He he consistently waited to hear God's direction. Uh, Before ever moving, and it isn't an easy thing, but he did it consistently, and that's that's our call as Christians. You know, Noah was told things that he didn't understand continually. I mean, from the very first thing, I mean, God tells me, "I'm gonna I'm gonna flood the whole world." Like what? He didn't know what a flood was, but he said, "Okay," you know. He he was told to to preach to everybody, let them know about this. You know, this is going to happen, and and he does that, and the people don't even respond to it. Not one other person besides his family went. He was he was supposed to build this boat, this huge ark, and he worked in it for 120 years. thereabouts. That's a long time, you know. It's a long time to do one thing. <laughs> you know, you're building the boat. <laughs> you know, middle of the desert. He he was even. Oh, sorry about that. I feel your pain. Um. He was told just a week before the flood was going to happen. You know, said, "Hey, God said, get get prepared. It's going to happen seven days." He's like, "Okay, (laughs) I'm going to do it now." He was told to go into the ark, and he didn't know when things were going to be okay. I mean, he waited in there for well over a year. You know, before God said, "Hey, you can leave the ark," and so it was this constant like. Just, just enough to get to the next point that God revealed to him, and Noah understood and accepted that he didn't have to understand everything that was happening, you know. But, but he trusted in the God who got him through each of the preparations for the next part of his life. And you see, that's what's going to happen with us uh, all the time. That the Lord gets us just enough, you know. As difficulty enters in, we don't know the end. We don't see the end of the tunnel, you know. But, but we hang on. You know, we trust in him because the the fact of the matter is that he's the one that saved us. And if he did that, well, then everything else seems pretty easy, right? I mean, if God did enough to be able to forgive all your sins, all my sins, I mean, you know, paying the next bill isn't a big deal, you know. Making sure your kids don't go off and make the worst decisions in their life isn't a big deal. God can take care of those things, you know. But it's in, in that patience and in that reliance that we have on him. I mean, we take encouragement in, in our difficulty because we know the God that we serve. And so we rely on his character. You know, even when you sit down, and I'm reading through like uh, Leviticus right now. And, you know, when you read through the Old Testament, when you read through something like Leviticus, you're, you're tempted to just kind of like, oh, you know, go through it like another law, you know, another law. But it, it's always amazing to me that when you pray and you actually stop and take the time, to, to really treat it as a devotional, like it should be, that the Lord will start to show you things about Himself. You know, He's going to say, Look at the things that are important to me. You know, look at the things that I value. Look at the things that, that I do expect to be principles in your life, even now. You know, not that if you don't keep the law, that's it, you're done. No, not that at all. But that it's the same God from the beginning to the end. And He's dealing with all of us in the exact same way. The other day, um, I was driving in the car with my son. He's about six years old. And we were listening to this song. And the song was based on Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. You know, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not to be able to give you peace and the hope. And, and he was listening. He was like humming along because he likes to do that kind of thing. And I told him, I said, Hey, Ben, so, uh, you know, I said, You know that's from the Bible. He says, Yeah. I said, yeah. You know. And he said, God was telling his people all this stuff. And I kind of explained to him, was like, hmm. like, all right. You know, and my hope is that later on, uh, he'll remember that, you know, he might not remember the actual conversation but that the Lord will bring that up to him whenever it's necessary. And the Lord's faithful to do those kinds of things, you know, because, because he does it for each and every one of us, you know, so if he does it for us. He's going to do it for the next one as well. So God spoke to Noah and gave him a specific command. He told Noah and to all his family he says, you, you guys, you guys, you need to get out of the ark. It's done. this is, your, this is it. You know, I've brought you through this. You know, they are going to enter into this earth that, that they were going to learn all about brand new all over again, you know, It's just as we enter into our new life as we go out. You know It's interesting, he told them to come in in the same way that we're called, told by Jesus to come on in. He says, that go out, and just in the same way we're told by Jesus, you, know, you go out, you go do your thing, you go out, you make disciples. you do, you do the things that you have to do. And he's saying them out in much the same way it's interesting that uh peter over in 1 peter 3 uh, 18 to 22 he talks about noah's emergence from the ark as, as a kind of baptism you know that he was ba- as it's a type of baptism into this new life coming out different than you were before and he was forever altered you know in his walk with god in, in the way that he would conduct himself and and i would imagine uh, the people that were with him as well and he told him, you know, you come out and, and you bring out all the animals as well for the specific purpose of populating the world. We need to get things started again is what the Lord's telling him. And it's cool because God, God cares about us, but, you know, I mean, God says he cares about the sparrows, right? You know, he cared about all, about all of creation here and it's interesting because when you when you read it there he's saying so you bring out every with you every living creature every living thing of all flesh that is with you birds cattle every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth he says and be fruitful and multiply on the earth it's it's this amazing echo of genesis chapter 1 isn't it you know genesis 120 through 22 where he's telling adam much the same thing i mean this this is a new beginning you know for all humanity they're starting Completely fresh. It's so much the same way that Adam started things. Noah is this this second, not the second Adam, because that's Jesus, but it, he's this 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 type here. And Noah was obedient. It says that he obeyed and and he brought all his family out. You know, even all, all those animals, he came out. And as he obeyed, you know, God was working in that because we all understand that as the animals came into the ark, that was an absolute miracle. I mean, there's just no Earthly way you can wrangle all those different kinds of animals, you know, entering in. And it says they came out the exact same way. They came out, it says, according to their kind. You know, it was like a march. You know, it's like that cartoon, that Disney cartoon that seeks to depict this and they're all marching in. You know, that, uh, you know, I totally think that's what the Bible makes it sound like. That's what I think it was like. They just showed up. And they walked right in. I mean, there's no other way to conceive of it than, than what the Bible says. You know, absolute miracle. You know, God working outside of uh, supernaturally. Hmm. And it's, all, it's so cool because when God is working our lives, he asks us to play a part in things. And the reality of the situation that we play, we have this real small part that we play, you know. And then God has all of this other things that he's doing, and the blessing is tremendous for us as believers. I mean, Noah must have just tripped out, you know, as he saw this. You know, I don't know how his sons act like, acted like knuckleheads later on, you know, or why, how he could even act like a knucklehead, you know, two chapters down. But it's just craziness, you know, craziness. And he has the same God that we serve from then all the way through to today. And he was blessed on account of his obedience. But we also see that that blessing and that obedience um, led him to, to love his God deeply. It says that as he had gone out with his family. That he built an altar to the Lord. And he offered sacrifices to God. So he adored his God. This is the first altar that we see in all of the Bible. okay, In all of human history. He knew that he needed to worship God after all of this. Before when people had sacrificed. It, there is no mention of an altar. You know, so Some people think that there was a, a mound somewhere. Near where paradise was where they offered things. It doesn't say, you know, I don't know what to say about that. But this is the first one. And so very likely, you know, just like altars, they're made of earth and and rock and stone and stuff. And and this is the first altar. And he takes, he says, a very single clean animal and every bird and made a burnt offering to the Lord. And if you remember, when he had gathered all of the animals, he had taken seven of each kind of animal. So he got pairs, right, male and female with one extra. and, And the Lord had provided for that sacrifice as as he moved Noah and the Spirit to do this, you know. And that seven animals. that burnt offering. And we know that burnt offerings have a history, you know, that uh, even as far back as before Cain and Abel, that they were an acceptable form of worship to God. You know. And and this burnt offering in particular is about the same as an offering of consecration or of commitment to God it, within the law. Okay. And so he he's doing this to show his thanks, yes. And and to say, Lord, this, this, is, this is what this all means to us. I mean, there's only seven of every kind of animal. And he's given one of each type away to God. You know, I mean, something gets sick and dies. That's it. It might never show up again. But he understood that the source of his salvation was the Lord. and He was deserving of praise. He was deserving of thanksgiving. And he also understood that as God was the one who saved him, that God was the one to whom all things belonged. And that's the attitude that we need to have. You know, it's kind of like that, that song says, you know, um, that, that I surrender all, right? And, and that's what we should be doing in Christ. We surrender all, all the time. You know, that's what we do things like, you know, give an offering or, you know, uh, we, we help others as, as we are able to help. We do these things because of the Lord who's blessed us, because of the God who provided for our families and for each and every one of us. And we bring him into into all the things that we do. You know, are we acknowledging God in every single aspect of our lives? Because that's what needs to happen. God, you know, our lives aren't compartmentalized where it's like, oh, this is my church life and this is my work life and this is my home life. And uh, No, it's not. It's the same all the way through, you know. Yeah, that's why there's not a lot of you know real strong Christians in something like politics, right? Because those people have to be like chameleons, changing all the time. You know, if you're a legit believer, you're not changing all the time. You know, you're you're pretty consistent with things, and people for some reason don't really like that. I don't know. But doing this and acknowledging Him and all the things that we do, it's going to have this effect on you. It's going to keep you humble. He's going to keep you centered on him because you're going to realize that it's not the work of your hands, not what you're doing. It's not your intelligence, it's not your ability. It's not your strength that makes the thing happen. You know, it's it's God who does those things all the time. And it's neat when you meet somebody who's like this. It's a it's a it's a wild thing to see that in their lives when they are truly acknowledging God and all the things and they've just let it all go and the Lord's doing stuff with them. You're like man I need a I need to get like that because that you know there's things I'm holding back, and we need to be honest with him and, you know to give up those things that we hoard and we put in our back pocket and like no this one's for me you know hmm. and as a result of this as a result of his obedience as a, as a result of his adoration to God, we see that God accepts it, he approves of it and he gives him a promise it says that this as these burnt offerings were offered in verse 21 that the Lord smelled it as a sm- as a soothing aroma. It tells us, you know, uh, and it's something that's consistent through scripture that uh, offerings are pleasing to God. You know, he even says that, you know, believers are as a sweet smelling aroma in their lives to God in Ephesians 5 two. And so then God was pleased with Noah's obedience. He was pleased with his worship. He was pleased with the devotion that he expressed. You know, he accepted his sacrifice. And, and this is the thing is God is pleased with us, you know, as we live our lives in loving obedience to him. This is very much what what Noah was doing. And we know the key to all that, of course, is the heart. It's not just that you give something. You know, because giving something means nothing. Really, if it's with the wrong heart, with the wrong intent. You know, we see this in uh, all kinds of places. We see this in Amos chapter 5. We see this in Isaiah chapter 1. We see this in a bunch of places in the Old Testament. You remember Saul you know, claiming that he disobeyed God, you know, because he was going to sacrifice things to him. And, you know, God told him, nope, you know, I prefer obedience over sacrifices. It says in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two. you know, the interesting thing is, is that as we obey God and then as we submit to him more and more, you know, that, that obedience in our lives results in the very kind of sacrifice that Noah's offering with the animals, you know, Second 2 Corinthians uh, 2.15 says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You know, we're being offered up, guys. You know, uh, That's what I hope. It, that's what I hope my life is. You know, that's what I want it to be. You know, I always think of Paul when he talks about how his life was being poured out as a drink offering to God. And he, he knew it, you know. It was just once you pour it out, it's done. That's it. There's nothing left, and that's got to be us. It's got to be all or nothing. But it's all, if it's only part way, I watch sports a lot, and um, you know, it, it's all. It's really interesting when you watch something like football. And you see somebody go to tackle somebody else, and they're not really committed to it. They look stupid. They don't know what they're doing. They fall. They do dumb things. You know, they're clown. They end up on like some kind of highlight on ESPN. You know, they make some smarky remark about them. And it's just, it's no good. And you see, it's because they didn't commit to it, right? If they would have committed, if they would have executed the way they've been trained to for who knows how long they've been playing, then it would have worked well. And you see, that thing holds true with each and every one of us in our lives with God. That As we commit fully to him, then we, we see those things abound more and more. Imagine with our with the little bit of faithfulness we give him, he is... So awesome. If we're even more faithful to him. It's that much more. In fact the Lord responded. Um, to him with. With the promise it says first that. As the Lord smelled and he was pleased by. Seeing what Noah was offering to him. That he would said he would never curse the ground again. And he said this is in his heart. Well we know it's not a physical heart that God has. And the Hebrew here is talking about. You know the. The the functions of, of the interior person, you know. So we have our emotions, our thoughts, and our will, and much the same way that the Lord, you know, it, it has has a will of his own and a mind, you know, and obviously loves and has emotion in much the same way that people do. In fact, it's the same word used in Genesis six, 6 when the Lord says, was grieved in his heart, you know, that he had created man because he saw all the evil that they had done. And so then it's important to understand that, we are created in his image. You know, that he He looks on us, you know, with a, a desire to be connected to us, right? In love. You know, that he thinks towards us, it tells us. You know, that he makes plans for us. And so then the Lord here is taking counsel in of himself de- and making that decision that he's not going to curse the world in this way ever again. Remember that he was the... Uh, uh, one who executed the curse and man was the reason for it. In fact, he says that he's not going to do this even despite how evil man is. He says that man's imagination and heart is evil from their youth. And when it talks about imagination, it's really interesting. It's the idea that, you know, um, it's the external shape of any kind of a, of a thing. And it refers to that which is formed by your mind. So like the plans and purposes. So the, the plans of your heart. From the time that you are very little, he says they're they're evil, they're corrupt, you know, they are abhorrent to God. Hmm. And when we're honest with ourselves, we know that's true. I mean, the Scripture is very clear that our our very essence is dominated by evil, and, and and that the Lord, you know, it's unacceptable to Him. And yet He offers us a way to repair this. We know this from things like Jeremiah seventeen, 17 nine. In Matthew fifteen nineteen, 19, uh, Jesus told them that out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. You know, they all proceed out of our hearts. And it's not something that you learn. It's something that you're born with. It's that, that original sin, you know, so to speak. All the curses in the world, in fact, are, are on account of us. Okay. The flood was because people couldn't get it together. It wasn't because of an animal. It was because of people. The world is going to go up in flames because of people. Hmm. As believers, we above all need to be cognizant of our sin nature then. We need to understand, we, and we do understand because we read the scripture, You know what, what that means when you give in to that. And so then we have to make sure that that flesh, that that sin in us, is something that's put to death every single day. And so do you strive then? Uh, to keep that old man dead—is that something that you remind yourself of daily, or you kind of forget about? it. Like, oh, gotta go, you know. Got my coffee. You know, I'm gonna be late, and there's not a second thought to what the Lord's got for you for that day. You know, you jump in the car and sports talk radio, and there you go. You know, you're on your way. Hmm. You know, our, our remedy to that. Is that we walk in the spirit, so walk in the flesh. It's it's always such a simple solution with God. You know, Galatians 5.16, he says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Later on, a few verses down that chapter, uh, verses 24 and 25, Paul writes, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the spirit, then let us also walk in the spirit. And that's really what it all boils down to. That yes, we are made alive by the Spirit. It's something that we have to do then every single day, you know. That we we don't give in to those passions that we have, and sometimes it's things that aren't necessarily. It don't seem so bad, you know. It's not necessarily a bad thing to want a nicer car, you know, to want a bigger house for your family, you know, to get a new pair of shoes. Not necessarily bad things, but if there are things that are going to distract us, things that are going to Take us away from looking to the Lord, things that we're going to start to focus on. Well, then they become bad things, don't they? And then, of course, there are some things that are absolutely bad. You know, when we want those, then we really have to make an effort to run the other way in the same way that Joseph did. And these are the things that we're going to deal with forever. You know. Hmm. So we have to remember this then, that this all happens on account of us. And the Lord then saying, despite that, he says, I'm going to continue to show grace. You know, I'm not going to destroy everything He says in the way that I've already done. I'm not going to you know do it by a flood. It's a simple promise, not by a flood. In fact, he's not saying that he's not going to render judgment. We know this because when we read the New Testament it tells us that everything's going to get burned up. You know second t- uh, Peter uh, chapter three verses six and seven, says, uh, "By which the world, he says that then existed perished being flooded with water. He's talking about Noah but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of the judgment and perdition of ungodly men hmm. it's, it's pretty cool because when God says something he doesn't forget it's not like when, when we make a proclamation at the house we will do this and then we forget about it right and your wife reminds you didn't you say we were going to do ah oh, I was being stupid <laughs> and then she's like hmm. you know she writes it down somewhere <laughs> he is always mindful of his promises. Isaiah fifty-four nine. Uh, he even reminds uh, his people. He says, uh, "For this is like the waters of Noah to me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer come over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you nor rebuke you." You know, he's making that analogy, saying, "Yeah, I, I remember this." He says, "You guys remember this?" You know, I'm not going to forget. I, I don't change. It's pretty cool that even as the Lord judges things, he shows grace. As the Lord, you know, wiped everything out here in Noah's world, he still showed grace to humanity and the world, you know. That as the Lord is going to wipe everything out in the future, we're still going to get the chance to be with him forever. You know. That grace is so abundant, it's always there. In fact, the Lord puts off judgment uh, until that end, because he knew that his son was going to come, that he knew that his son was going to die and ra- rise again on that third day, and he knew that you and I would all have the chance for salvation. You know, he understood all those things, and, and he says, "So I'm not going to do this again." And he makes a second promise there in verse 22. He's saying that that the the world would not be interrupted in all of its seasons and all of its natural processes, you know, until the earth stopped being. So he says, I'm not going to interrupt the seasons. not going to interrupt the way things are until then. The, uh, the flood was this singular event in human history that changed the world forever. You know, changing geology and oceans and weather patterns and all this stuff. And and he says, I'm not going to do it like this again. You know. So we can rely on that. You know, until the things that happen that he's told us are going to happen take place. Until he raptures the church. Until... You know, the seven years of tribulation happens until the thousand year reign happens, you know, until the, the judgments and all that happen. He will not uh, stop all these things. And that will be true all the way through. It's cool because as the Lord changed everything for Noah and his family, you know, he changes everything for us. And, and as he makes promises of peace to his family, he does the same thing for us as believers. That we have all these promises, you know, they're, they're all in here right and how foolish for us to to look the other way to get distracted uh, with other things with things that just don't make any sense because we we do serve a god who will bring blessings after judgment right you know we serve a god who wants to be gracious to us but at the same time will allow us to reap the things that we sow if that's what we choose and so we have to take advantage of that grace and not Not abuse it, you know. Not be like so many believers like it tells us in the New Testament that used things like liberty as a cloak for vice, you know. Because far be it from us to proclaim to be believers and then not really live it out. To not have it be evident in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Our prayer, Lord, is that we we would respond with a faithfulness that is greater than what we offer now. Lord, that we'd be committed to you, committed to your word, committed to your work in our lives and the lives of the people around us. And that you would direct us uh, through your Holy Spirit in those things. We love you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.